So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the um, circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law which its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, this is God's word. Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for the warm welcome. Thank you, Bijan, for having me today. It's a real blessing and a privilege to be here. Um, my name's Ephraim. I was born and raised in South London. I've um, been doing ministry in London for 30 plus years and beyond around the country. And I'm just excited to be here and to share the word with you today. Um, I've I got a couple of disclaimers before we start. Firstly, I would promise you, and Bijan is my witness, that this wasn't orchestrated. Um, Bijan didn't contact me and say, look, you know what, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, talking about reconciliation. Ephraim, how do you feel about coming to preach for us uh, today and, and sharing that message? In fact, when Bijan contacted me, he said, bro, how, um, we, we've been trying to get you over for a while. Um, how, how does it work for you on this particular Sunday? And I said, yeah, you know what? That, let's trust the Lord and, and we'll make the diaries work. And, and he said, you know, you're, you're welcome to preach whatever you like. Just let me know. Um, or you can jump in on the series that we're on. And as a preacher who's preaching often, to be honest, one of the biggest challenges can be, Lord, what is it that you want me to say? So I was happy to say, bro, you guys are in a series. Let me know and I'll see if it's something that I can connect with. And so he sent me the verses and I was like, hmm, Lord, hmm, there's something strategic going on here. And so it's, it's a joy to be joining you in your series in Ephesians, looking at these verses. Now, we live in a season where we're seeing deep challenges within the church. In fact, we're seeing deep challenges everywhere, in society in particular, 
and that's uh, impacting and reverberating in, within the walls of the church as it relates to this issue of reconciliation, of unity, ethnic, cultural, social. And so as we approach these verses today, there is something that the Lord would speak to us by way of encouragement, by way of instruction, by way of a challenge, but above all, by way of his priority. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness towards us, that Lord, we would be here, gathered this morning at this time to hear from you. That is no accident, Lord, even those who are visiting are here by your will and ordination. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us all. Even as I share this, Lord, I recognize that I am also a recipient and a beneficiary who stands under your word as I preach your word. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts and souls, I ask, in ways that would be transformative. And I pray this for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading the uh, uh, book by Vody Bockham. Some of you will have heard of him. The book's called Fault Lines. And in the book, I found it striking when he said these words. As a new Christian, as a young black man who has come from a background of uh, a kind of pro-black black, uh, mentality, I found it hard to know how to center my identity, how to center my identity. Was I a black man first and a Christian second, or a Christian first and a black man second? Those words resonated with me because I recognized that challenge myself. Growing up in South London in the, in the 90s, my formative years in the 90s, I got married in 91. And being in South London, seeing the Nation of Islam on the streets, Hebrew Israelites making an appearance, there was a lot being said about who God's people are and also who they're not. Thank the Lord for his word. The entrance of God's word brings light. And as we renew our minds with the truth of God's word, Paul says in Romans, we are transformed ourselves. God has done a great work of reconciliation. An amazing work of reconciliation. And even as I stand here and I look out across this multi-ethnic gathering, I'm able to say amen to that work of reconciliation. And not primarily because the gathering is multi-ethnic, but because you are gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it suggests that first and foremost there has been reconciliation to God. This is the focus in these verses. The Apostle Paul puts first things first. In the first section, verses 11 to 13, we see Paul address the issue of proximity. Proximity. Nearness. We see in verse 12, you were separate 
You were separate. Now, I know some of you are following along in your Bibles, and I would hope that to be the case. Separate from who? Real question, not rhetorical. I'm, I'm a Pentecostal at heart, <laughs> so preach with me today. Separate from who? Separate from Christ. The greatest problem as it relates to unity, harmony, reconciliation that we have as humanity is not our reconciliation with one another. It's not our harmony with one another. That's not our biggest problem. Humanity's biggest problem is whether or not we are reconciled to God or are we separate from him. That's the big issue. Now, as Pastor Gurma preached fire last week and brought the gospel to bear both barrels on our hearts, he made it clear we were dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. We were deserving of wrath. We could do nothing to help ourselves, nothing to impress God, yet God in his mercy reached out to us. Praise be to his holy name. And so God has reached out. We were dead, but he made us alive. We were lost, but he saved us. He's raised us up and seated us with Christ, verse 6. And verse 10, created us in Christ for good works. Hence the therefore in verse 11. Therefore, in light of what has been said, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Within all of the struggles and with all of the efforts to see God's vision of a united people realized, let us always remember first that we were separate from Christ. Now, I mentioned there were two disclaimers. I think it's worth making the second one now for clarity, um, especially in the, the season that we're in and with what's happening in the Middle East. When I speak of Gentiles and Jews, when I use the term Israel and anything to do with Hebrews, etc., unless otherwise stated, I am speaking about that in the context of our verses. I'm not making any reference or insinuations about what's happening in the Middle East. And so um, I'm appreciative that you uh, understand and are able to work with me on that basis. When Paul speaks of Gentiles, he's speaking of non-Jews, which is the rest of the world, fundamentally. Everyone but the Jews. And Paul is making clear the, 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 the position that we were in. We were separate from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners to the covenant, without hope and without God. They naturally follow, consequentially. Without God, we would always be without hope. 
and yet in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, we were separate from, the, separate from God. And as Gentiles, what Paul is saying is, you didn't have the benefit or the privilege, and you could say the gospel privilege, of knowing the backstory, knowing the history of God's dealings with Israel, who he had set to be a light to the nations. You never had that backstory. You never had that privilege. You were even further removed from God than they are. You couldn't have known. I mean, you may remember for yourself personally a time in your life when God was the furthest thing from your mind. Maybe for some of you it was uni years when you were just there on the pretense of getting an education and it was just raving and parties and drinking and everything else that we won't mention on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And the Lord was the furthest thing from your mind. And yet, there was a point when the knowledge of Christ invaded your life. God began to reveal himself to you. And you began to wonder, and you began to think, and you began to ponder, and you began to consider, what does this really mean for me? Where am I in relationship to God? And going from a place of ignorance and exclusion to a place of nearness by reason of the gospel. God's intent in Christ was always to have a multi-ethnic bride. And yet, through lack of proximity, the possibility was reduced. And so we see here that proximity leads to peace. If we were going to be, as Gentiles, even availed of the option or the opportunity, we would need to be brought near. We would need to be brought into God's story. We would need to see our place, ourselves in God's story in such a way that we could then realize that actually we need relationship with God. And this is how it is for those who are around us. This is one of the things that we endeavor to work with churches Bijan mentioned Weber Street and the, um, uh, the um, work that goes on there and the outreach to those who are in the street homeless community. And the endeavor is that by gaining proximity with people in those communities and in those situations, we might be able to shed the light of Christ. And, and begin to expose them to the Lord's nearness. Because we know the truth, right? Even though we may be far away, even though they may be far away, God is ever near. He's ever present. 
It's like Jacob waking up after the dream in Genesis. Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know. And yet we can be so near, but so far. And this was true for the Jews, which is why when the Apostle Paul refers in verse 11, they call themselves, the, he's a Jew, they call themselves the circumcision, even though it's just made of hands, contrasted with verse 10. We are God's workmanship, not made with hands. And so he's showing that actually, even their view of themselves, and even though they have the heritage and the history and the whole backstory, oh, they may have the advantage of that, but unless they are in Christ, unless they have been reconciled through his blood, it counts for nothing. I grew up in church. I was brought up by my grandmother, and from the age of two years old, when I was kind of able to toddle, she was already elderly, she had already retired, and so she needed help. And the only help she was getting in getting me to church was me being able to walk. And as soon as I was able, I was going to church with her. And I would be in church from morning till night. And that's just on a Wednesday, not really. <laughs> but I would be in church the whole time, and yet there was a point in my life when I realized that going to church did not make me a Christian. I was brought near, but I wasn't connected. I wasn't reconciled. And this is the case for the Jews. We see that the Jews had the backstory. They had opportunity. The Gentiles lacked it. But God, expressing himself through Christ, provided that opportunity so that all could come. That all may come. Proximity is necessary if people will find peace. And this is what we see in the second half of our text, in verses 14 to 18. We see the word peace mentioned here four times. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Verse 15, creating himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access. You see, without Christ, we're like that individual trying to get into the VIP area and lacking the AAA pass. It's not going to happen. And yet, let's recognize that the hostility that existed in verse 14 between who? Not just us and one another, but fundamentally us and God. Actually, we were once enemies of God. We see this in Romans 5 verse 10. That we were enemies of God. And so in this first use of the word hostility, which is the opposite of peace, 
that which the Lord destroyed in Christ, that hostility encompasses not just the hostility experienced between peoples, but our hostility toward God. And yet, God brought peace through Christ. Again, in verse 16, when we see the word hostility and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. That hostility is much more horizontal because there was hostility between Jews and non-Jews. We see this when Jesus met the woman at the well from Samaria. We see this when Jesus told the parable that we know as the parable of the, the good Samaritan. Samaritans were actually cousins to the Jews. They were like half-Jews, if you like, and yet they were greatly despised. And Jesus used them to really challenge the status quo and the mindset of the Jews in such a way that they would have to look hard at themselves and their discriminatory attitude. And yet, it's amazing that God got rid of the hostility and brought peace through one of the worst acts of hostility known to man. When we read there in verse 16, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, let's not read over that. Let's not read over verse 13 when it says we are brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. It is by means of his sacrifice, his torturous sacrifice, that God has dealt with the hostility. Such an amazing, immense display of love that all hostility would dissolve in the face of it. That there would be no excuse, there would be no justification for any further hostility toward God or toward each other. Why? Because Jesus endured the worst form of hostility in order that we could have peace with God. And the reality is, as we read previously in the chapter, we needed peace with God. It's an oxymoron that God needs anything. And so God didn't do it for any lack on his part. But God in his generous mercy and grace extended the gift of peace to us. Otherwise, we would experience his wrath. If it's hostility you want, then 
that would be an, uh, an expression of hostility that would be overwhelming, that no one would be able to endure. And yet, by means of the cross, the Lord God put to death hostility. And in verses 17 and 18, it summarizes this section. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, you see, everybody needs Jesus. Even the Jews with their rich heritage of God's work in their nation through the prophets need the Messiah, Jesus. And so whether you were near or far, reconciliation, genuine connection and relationship only comes through Christ. Only then do we have access to the Father by his one spirit. Proximity leads to peace. And as we contemplate this, as we recognize that, uh, as somebody once said, the cross is an object with two axes, a vertical and a horizontal. And if we have the vertical rightly aligned, representing our relationship with God, then the horizontal will be rightly aligned, representing our relationship with one another. We must first get right our relationship with God. And then in doing so, we have hope for much greater relationships with one another. As we conclude, I want to offer a couple of implications because no doubt there are some among us who are sitting down thinking, okay, this all makes sense. There's no surprises here. This is just as I would have expected that this text is actually saying. But what about reality? What about the fact that when we look at the church, there are so few expressions of church where we see true diversity? There are still those who are within the community of the church and yet feel like they're outsiders because of their difference, because of their otherness. What about the, the word wars that are, are raging across the, 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 the evangelical church? Those who are fighting the social justice warriors and they're fighting the inhumane legalists and there's this, why is this all going on if Jesus has achieved reconciliation through his blood? Well, the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 2, chapter 12, that they are to work out their salvation. Now, work out doesn't mean like a maths problem. Uh, let me see. Is it? No. It's not that kind of working out. It's working out like exercise. Exercise your salvation. Exercise your salvation. 
Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Why? How are we even able to do that? Well, he goes on to say, because God is at work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so there has to be effort applied. There has to be a commitment to the process. And not one where we're trying to create, create our own kind of functional salvation. But actually, one where we recognize that we are participating in Christ's finished work. And as with all things related to the Lord, it's one that we ought to approach with humility, repenting of our own pride, repenting of our own self-glorification, repenting of those ways in which we find our identity in other things other than Christ. And trusting that Jesus has made us one. Even if we're not the same, that's okay. It's all part of God's plan. He has made us one. And this is one of my greatest laments. This is one of my greatest grievances when I hear the word wars raging across the church. They deteriorate into these tirades of, of, of insults that negate the fact that we're speaking to our brothers and sisters. This isn't something that's going to just resolve itself overnight with a prayer meeting and some songs of worship. It's going to require conversation. It's going to require humility and understanding. It's going to require proximity as we get alongside people who are other than ourselves that are not like us. And yet, nonetheless, we're able to trust that Jesus has done the heavy lifting. He's dissolved his hostility. He's brought us near. And so, may we be reconciled to God. May we repent of where we find our identity in anything other than Christ. May we trust in his finished work. May we be committed to exhibit the fact that he has reconciled us, first and foremost to God, but also to one another. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you for the multitude of ways in which you have invaded our lives and made us aware of your nearness, the nearness of your presence, the way in which you have drawn us with cords of love to yourself. And I thank you, Lord, that your intention in doing so, your intention in those, those good works that you've set for us to fulfill, they're expressed in our reconciliation to one another. 
Thank you for reconciling us. Thank you for making us one. Lord, help us to make that a visible reality by the power of your spirit as we trust you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.